Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit core.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words of scripture. First from Proverbs, hear these words. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. From 1 Corinthians, everything is permitted, but everything isn't beneficial. Everything is permitted, but everything doesn't build others up. From Colossians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. From Psalms, be still and know that I'm God. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Americans spent over $145 billion on technology this Christmas. We spend an average of four hours a day on our screens. We look at our smartphones an average of 58 times each day. More than 70% of us use social media. Technology touches every aspect of our lives. It holds the promise of enormous good. But misused, it can cause untold pain, leaving us feeling isolated, anxious, depressed, or addicted. It's been said that technology makes a tremendous servant, but a terrible master. This month, we're exploring how we can avoid the perils and unleash the promise of technology in our lives, our families, and our communities. I'm really excited about this sermon series. As we kick it off, it's a great time to do that. It's the first of the year, and we begin thinking about new habits and breaking old habits, and, and how, do we, how do we live better, healthier lives? And so that's what we're going to be talking about when it comes to technology. We're not going to bash technology. In fact, most of the time in the sermon series, we're going to be talking about how technology can, can be used for great good and, and encouraging people to do that. But we do want to recognize that there are places where there are perils related to technology. And we want to recognize, too, that many of us have gotten into some pretty bad habits when it comes to our use of technology. I just want to remind you to begin with, technology is simply applying knowledge to processes or to construct tools that help us to be able to live happier, healthier, more fruitful lives, to accomplish more with less or to accomplish things we couldn't accomplish without the technological advances. And so just to remind you of some of the great technological revolutions of, of uh, humankind, there was fire and uh, that allowed people to keep themselves warm and to cook. <clears throat> there was the wheel. That changed everything. It allowed so much to happen that couldn't have happened before. There was pen and paper and ink and so the ability to communicate in writing, and of course, the printing press, which revolutionized everything. This is all technology we're looking at. <clears throat> the locomotive engine, the steam engine, which, uh, which allowed travel at speeds never before seen. Uh, the light bulb, of course, and electricity with that, the automobile, all of these things, the airplane and the telephone are just a few of the technological advancements that we have seen over humankind that changed everything. And so as we think about that today, of course, we've seen more. We've seen penicillin, the advent of penicillin and all kinds of modern day medicine and technological advances with, when it comes to health, but so much more. But the technology we're talking about in this sermon series is the digital revolution. It is the capacity to do more with technology that helps us advance when it comes to knowledge, when it comes to communication, so many other things our technology helps us to do today. 
And so we're gonna be focusing on that kind of technology. As we do that, I wanna mention, I've got a few computers back behind me here. And, uh, and some of us are living in, uh, well, some of you are digital natives. That is that you were born after the advent of all of this technology. <clears throat> and there'll be more technological advancements coming in the future for you. But many of us have lived through the moment when there was not technology like this that was readily available, and now it's readily available. So just to give you some idea, this computer right here was my very first computer. It was made in 1984. It's an Apple Macintosh. And, uh, and when I bought this, it was the hottest selling item you could get. It was amazing because of all the things you could do and you could see what you were doing on the screen. And one of the ways that people sold this was to say that it really could be a portable computer that you could take with you wherever you were going. And, and I bought this backpack and it was meant to be carried as a backpack when you were taking it to college and back home again. It was, it was uh, kind of silly because this thing weighs about 50 pounds, but it was you know, a, a rapid technological advancement for most people when this kind of computer came out. I think about my phone and, and there was a day when we didn't have cell phones and then we had cell phones and then there was a day when we had smartphones. This is my very first smartphone. Uh, this, is a, um, this is an Apple second generation iPhone. The first generation came out a year before. This was in 2008. And, uh, and suddenly you had a computer in your hand and every generation of iPhone that's come out since then and the other kinds of smartphones have all made those kind of amazing advancements. Before this was a BlackBerry, but the BlackBerry had nothing on what this phone could do. Suddenly everything changed when you had a computer in your pocket. It was amazing. And so today our young people, our children and teenagers don't know of a day. They don't remember a day or a time when there wasn't a smartphone in existence. And pretty early on in their lives, they ended up having one. All right, so we start with this question though. And that is how are these devices affecting us and how are we meant to use them? And we're gonna to look to see, we're gonna to talk to some experts. Uh, some of the experts you're gonna hear from today are four teenagers I interviewed this week. Another one is the founder of Tracy Foster, who's the founder of Screen Sanity. And it was a conversation with her about six months ago, five months ago, that led me to think maybe for January, we should change the sermon series to address our right relationship with technology because I was hearing about a lot of the pain and have seen that in our own congregation. And so I wanna share with you before we jump into the sermon, that I actually did get a new computer myself for Christmas. So for Christmas, I got a new piece of technology. I got a new computer and I wanna share that with you. This com computer was given to me by my granddaughter, Stella. She's eight years old and, uh, and it looks like this. She's in a pottery class. And so in her pottery class with her Mimi, my wife, uh, they made beautiful things for people for Christmas. And this was my gift and I want you to see it. So it's a computer and uh, there it is right there. There's the backside. It's an Apple computer you can see. And let's go see the keyboard. She very carefully created every one of the keys and put them together on the keyboard. And, uh, and then I want you to see the screen. I just melted when I opened this and I saw that. And as I was thinking about this, you know, she was trying to show me how much she loved me by making this beautiful device and by, by writing it on the screen, I love you, I'll treasure this. But then I began thinking about the sermon series that I had planned and that my granddaughter for Christmas gave me a computer, made a computer. And I began to wonder, you know, is that saying something about how she sees her papa all the time. She wanted to love me and show me that she, would, she loved me. And so she wanted to make the device she sees me in front of much of the time when she comes to visit our house. Now, during the daytime, when she comes to visit, she's spending the night and it's usually work days. And so I try to take a little bit of time with her, but I'm in front of my computer working. And, and then in the evenings, you know, sometimes there's a few things I've got to get done. And then usually we'll play and get her put to bed. And, but so often she sees her papa in front of his computer in front of his device. And so she created this as a gift to me to show me how much she loved me, but it began raising questions for me as to what the message was that I was sending to my granddaughter about how I spend most of my time. 
All right. Uh, I was uh, studying, and, and by the way, I said in the it said in the opening that you saw a moment ago that the average American picks up their smartphone 58 times in a day. I wonder if that's accurate for you, or if it's not nearly that many times. Probably, if you're much older, it's not very not maybe even close to that amount. If you're younger, it's way way more than 58 times. But for me, probably 58 to 100 times I pick up my phone every day. I pick it up to see, you know, what's happening in the world. I pick it up to see who's texted me, who's emailed me, who's sent me a message in Messenger or something else. But it seems like I am constantly distracted by my phone, trying to see exactly what's going on in my life. I was reading a website this week, and, and it, uh, I was reading about it in a book. And it's, it's a book where you post your, you know, it's your secrets or the things that you couldn't actually express to someone else, but it's what you're feeling. And so there are people who confess by means of postcards. They create a postcard, they send it to this location, they post it on the screen and people can comment. And uh, some had confessions and some had frustrations and some were celebrating good things by means of sending these postcards and posting them online. It's interesting, instead of sending them to the people that they know and love or sending them to the people that they have been grieved by or who they have grieved and hurt, they are confessing or apologizing to a computer screen. So this is a bit of what's happening in our lives. But one of them was this postcard you see right here. I wanna throw my dad's laptop out the window. It's destroying our family. All right, we know as Christians that we were called to love one another. Jesus makes this really clear. Uh, he tells us that the second great commandment is to love your neighbors, you love yourself. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another. The apostle Paul tells us faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. And in 1 John 4, 20 and 21, we read these words of Jesus. Well, these words of, of John, the apostle of Jesus. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So it's really clear. This is the essential practice of the Christian life is to demonstrate love, kindness, to, to meet the needs of or to care for other people, this kind of agape, selfless love. And yet so often with the very people that we love the most, we find ourselves perhaps spending more time with our attention fixed on our screen than we do the people that we're called to love. So this week I spoke to Tracy Foster, the co-founder of Screen Sanity. And as I spoke to her, I asked her, you know, are we addicted to our screens? And, uh, and I don't know how you feel about that phrase. Are you addicted to your screen? Am I addicted to my screen? But I wanted to ask what Tracy Foster was seeing in her work with Screen Sanity. Take a listen. Are we, are we overstimulated by our technology and, and how do we, and what impact does it have on us? Yeah, well, I think I would say almost all of us really are addicted or feeling like we can't go without our technology. So we sometimes do a tech check where you answer a few questions. How do you feel if you've accidentally left your phone in the car and you walk into a restaurant? Do you have to go back and get your, your phone or can you handle the five minutes of picking up your order and going back? And I think almost all of us have had experiences where we go on a trip, we forget our charger, all of a sudden we're, you know, we're almost hyperventilating when all of a sudden we don't have this access. And so some people would say that that is a sign that we struggle to thrive without our device, which some people would maybe say is addiction. How about you? If you leave your phone in your car and you're going into a restaurant, do you need to run back out and get it? Or can you you know, can you go in for the five or 10 minutes to pick up your carryout or, or if you're gonna have dinner there, is it possible you could leave your phone in the other room or in the, in the car? I mean, we all struggle with these kind of things, I think, or most of us do, maybe not all of us, but most of us do. I asked our teenagers, so I, I had a chance to sit down with four really remarkable youth in our congregation. And I asked them some questions about their relationship with technology and in particular about their phones. Take a listen to what they had to say. 
How, are we spending just about the right amount of time on our devices or are we spending maybe a little more time than we should? What are your thoughts? I think it can be really addictive. Like you can really lose track of time. I think we're spending too much time on it because like it prevents you from getting stuff done, like stuff that you need to get done. I think we're spending too much time on technology because it, it engages us in a world that we think is true all the time. When in reality, we're just missing out on the real world. I think that we're spending way too much time, but I also think that it kind of depends on the person. Are we in any way, would the word addicted to our technology be the right term? Does it feel like maybe that's, that's where we're a little out of control with it and hard to stop it? Yes. Yeah, I, I'd say that's the right word. So maybe it's not just uh, adults who have a problem with this. It seems like maybe kids do as well, teenagers do as well. Children who get their first cell phone, it's really hard for us to have a right relationship with technology. And we begin to see that it does look like we're perhaps addicted to technology. And I'm just gonna confess right here, this sermon is as much for me as it is for any of you. I feel like I struggle with addiction to my technology. I feel like I'm constantly looking, constantly needing to see, constantly needing to have it with me, feeling un, you know, uncertain. If I don't have my phone with me, maybe somebody's gonna try to call me. Maybe some world event's gonna happen I need to know about. I wanna have my phone with me all the time. All right, so what difference does it make if we are overly connected to tech? And here's what Tracy Foster said from Screen Sanity. She, she had these words I thought was really important in terms of just one example of how our technology ends up negatively affecting us when we become addicted to it. Take a listen. Some of the effects that it has on us, I think one of the biggest ones is making us not as present in the moment. So there's this word called, this word fubbing, and it's snubbing the person you're with to look at your phone. And it's very ironic because the idea is, well, I'm looking at my phone to stay connected, but you're actually disconnecting from the person who's right in front of you. And so if you are someone who's always checking your phone, even, it's to, even if it's to do good things, like you need to check your work email or whatever, you are oftentimes losing something that you don't even fully realize you're losing. One of the things we're most passionate about is the clash that it's causing between parents and children. It is the number one battleground. It's also causing tensions between spouses, you know, in all types of relationships. And it plays out in a variety of different ways. Agreement on what the rules are for the family, but then also more deeply, really a lot of severed relationships. People who feel like they've lost connection with each other because they're just ships passing in a night. They're sitting next to each other. They're in the same room, but they're not actually together. They're together, but not together. I wonder if you're ever guilty of fubbing, of phone snubbing, of being focused on your phone without being focused on the people who are sitting around you. Or on the opposite side, I wonder if you ever have been the victim of fubbing. And so you've been with somebody, your spouse or your kids or someone else, and they're on their phone while you're sitting together, maybe at a meal or in the car or somewhere else, you're sitting together and that other person is on their phone answering Facebook or email or something else, uh, Instagram, whatever it might be, and you find yourself feeling like you're alone with another person who's connecting with a whole phone full of other people at the same time. How does it feel when that happens for you? And often we notice it in somebody else, but we don't notice it in ourselves. So I, I was curious if our teenagers felt that they had experienced anything like this, either the anxiety of not having their phone with them or you know, just the... the downside of having, you know, such a tie to their technology. And this is what they had to say. Take a listen. And how do you feel if your phone is not on you? Like Fair terrified. Like, yes. Afraid. One time I lost my phone. Like I just couldn't find it. And I went without a phone for like three days and it was miserable. Like I was, it's just like you miss out on so much. Like all my friends like know about something that's going on. And I'm just like in the dark. Uh, I broke my phone like twice. So I had to go without it for like a week. 
Did you find anything positive about not having your phone for those few days? I hung out with my friends more. During, like, I was more interactive with my parents. Like, during meals, I would, like, talk to them instead of just be, like, glued to the phone. Okay, I've got to ask you, these are teenagers, and it might be easy for us to say, well, wow, what's wrong with those teenagers? They're so upset when they don't have their phone. So let me just ask you, if your phone was broken or taken away or lost for a week, how would you feel? And I know people in their 70s and 80s and maybe 90s who might feel really anxious by not having their phone with them. And so this is something that really connects to all generations. But I love what Brecken said. Well, his phone was uh, being repaired, so he had, he had a week without his phone. And, you know, when he talked about, well, during that time, I actually spent more time with my friends and talking with them, you know, face to face. And, and at dinner time, you know, I wasn't looking at my phone and said my parents and I, we had better conversations, more meaningful conversations during that period of time. So it's not that technology's bad and technology keeps us connected with people around the world and we get to see pictures, we get to talk with each other by, by you know, text or by Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or whatever. And all of that's great. But there are times we have to put that phone down to actually have a relationship with somebody who's around us, not to be fubbing them all the time. And so I was thinking about a conversation I had several years ago with, uh, with Kevin Timmons. Kevin runs, runs a series of restaurants in Kansas City called Nick and Jake's. And uh, he had me come over, we were having lunch and I was actually video, uh, video uh, interviewing him and preparing a video for a series of sermons I was doing on meals that people ate with Jesus. And while we were there, he said, hey, I wanna show you this thing that we're doing. He said, the other day I was watching several business guys came in for lunch. And when they came in, one of them got on their phone for something. And then I noticed the other two pulled out their phones and they got on their phones for something. And then the one put his phone down, but the other two were still, you know, on Facebook or looking at the news or whatever. And then the one put their phone down and the other guy picked his back up. And he said, I just watched this amazing meal where we brought out food. And the reason why we have a restaurant is to bring people together and to connect them over meals. And these folks spent the whole time eating while talking on their phones, not with the people who were sitting around them. So he said, I came up with this idea. And he went and bought these baskets that looked like this. And inside the basket, uh, he put, this goes on the table. And inside the basket was this little sign. You can see it on the video screen here. And I love it. It says, disconnect to reconnect, unplug, Nick and Jake's. And, uh, and he said, you know, my hope was, he said, I, I put it out there and I just nudged it towards, uh, it was maybe not even that first group, but some later group. I nudged it towards them, didn't make a big deal about it. But when they looked at it, they all put their phones inside the basket. And I thought, what would it look like if we had a basket like that in our homes? What would, what would happen? Because even at home, I got in the bad habit of having my phone next to me in case somebody needed me desperately during my mealtime. So what is that saying to LaVon that I've got a phone sitting there? Like I'm constantly available all the time. I can't even take 30 or 40 minutes to eat a dinner and have a meaningful conversation with my wife without, without having the phone sitting there waiting for me to pick up if there was some kind of emergency. And so somewhere along the way, we've lost something essential to being human while we, while we just appreciate so much this great technological revolution that we're living through right now. Now, one of the things that, uh, that this sermon is doing for me in the sermon series is it's causing me to evaluate my own habits and to make some changes. So on uh, Wednesday of this week, I thought the phone is not gonna sit next to me anymore at the dinner table. And so I ended up taking it and putting it in the, you know, in the next part of the room over in the kitchen area. So it wasn't next to me. I couldn't hear it vibrate. I wasn't gonna respond to anything during mealtimes. That's a really small thing. But I wonder what would happen if, you know, if your dinner table became that sacred space for you, for your family relationships. And you were just to find a place, maybe a little box that you set aside somewhere and everybody knows before dinner, put your phones there. After dinner, you can pick them back up. But that'd be like one small step, right? Because great new habits start with one small step. This is just a tiny one but it could just make all the difference in the world. What if during lunchtime, you're not gonna talk on your phones you know, during the lunch hour, during these meal times? What would happen if this took place? 
So I'm reminded that we were made for companionship. We need companionship. And the first thing the Bible says isn't good is that the human is alone. So God's, God looked at Adam, he says, it is not good that the man shall be alone. I'll make for him a partner as his companion. You remember what the word companion means? It's from a Latin word and it means to break bread with. And so this idea that we're sharing together over meals and maybe putting the, po- the phone on pause for a little while during that time. So I wanna ask you once more, are you ever guilty of fubbing? Do you get really anxious if you don't have your phone with you all the time? Do you have your phone with you at the dinner table? Or do you take the time just to focus on being with other people? All right, so two thoughts came to my mind as I was you know, thinking about this data and, and what I was learning about technology and thinking about my own use. And, and one of them was simply this, who is master in your life or in my life? So during the sermon starter, you hear this idea that, that technology makes a great servant, but a terrible master. But in many of our lives, our technology has come to run our lives and sometimes ruin our lives or our relationships. And so who's serving who? Are you serving your technology or is your technology serving you? And, and in the Bible, we have this, this idea for this is called idolatry. It is something becomes an idol. It becomes the center of your life. It becomes the thing that runs your life. It becomes your source of comfort, your source of strength, your source of peace. It becomes the, the central driver of your life. And most people who are idolaters, who are worshiping something else, don't realize they are. There are a lot of Christians who think, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and God is at the center of my lives and yet in my life, but yet, you know, we find maybe money is really at the driver, the, the center of peace for us or strength or whatever it might be, joy is having money. Or sometimes it's material possessions or sometimes it's power or sometimes it's physical intimacy. And, and so all of these things, but for many of us who wouldn't consider doing any of those other things, you know, and making them the center of our lives, technology has really come to be in that place, idolatry. And in this, I'm reminded of the very first of the 10 commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, nothing else that's driving you, nothing else that's the center of your attention, nothing else that you love more than everything else, nothing else that's the source ultimately of your security and your strength than me, God is saying. And then I think, of course, you know, the statement I learned when I was a kid, too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing. And so that's true of Oreo cookies and it's true of M&Ms and it's true of technology and the hours that we spend on it that this thing that was meant to be something good used in an overindulgent way ends up bringing harm into our lives. I was studying the Mayo Clinic, uh, posted a article on the negative effects of too much screen time. And I just wanna share these with you. Uh, Too much screen time has been linked to obesity, poor sleep or insomnia, behavioral problems, including impulsive actions, loss of social skills, violence, less time for play, eye strain, neck and back problems, anxiety, depression, difficulties with work or school. And so all of these things are possible. And there's more, there's a whole lot of other articles that list other items that are ways in which our technology, when we use it too much, ends up having a negative effect on our physiology and upon our mental health. Well, uh, the response then to that, if, if we struggle with idolatry or struggle with, you know, with appropriate you know, boundaries for our technology, is something the Bible calls self-control. Well, the Bible doesn't just call it self-control, we call it self-control. The ability to rein ourselves in and to reprogram ourselves so that we are not misusing or overindulging in certain things. And here I was reminded of the fruit of the Spirit. So we memorized this a couple of years ago. Paul writes in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and say it with me, Self-control, self-control. Now the Greek word for self-control is enkrateia. And enkrateia, and I may be mispronouncing that, but it's self-mastery, it's self-restraint. And we usually see it translated as self-control, 
Though sometimes it's self-discipline or temperance or moderation, but think about what the opposite of that is. So this is the, what the Holy Spirit working in us does is produces self-control. But when it comes to our technology, we lack that a lot. And what we find the opposite of that is overindulgence, immoderation, being out of control, and sometimes addiction. So when you find yourself addicted to something, one of the first steps is to admit you have a problem. To be able to say, you know, I think maybe Pastor Adam is talking about me right now. Maybe I struggle with a, uh, a need for my technology and overindulging in it or an over-reliance on it in a way that's not healthy for me or for other people. So that leads me to think about some practical advice that might help us. These were things that I found helpful. And, and one of them is a, is a little tool you might use with children or grandchildren. So this would be like elementary age children and preschoolers. And it's a little book I found called Polly and the Screen Time Overload. Polly and the Screen Time Overload. And it's a great little book. And what it does, it tells the story of a little girl named Polly. And one year, I think it was for Christmas, she received a, they called it an iTab. So it would be like an iPad. She received a digital device uh, from her grandparents and her aunt, I don't remember, someone, some family member. And, uh, and she got it and she just, it was so enamoring. She couldn't take her eyes off of it. And she starts downloading apps and she's on it all the time. And then it comes time to go to her grandparents' house, not the ones who gave her the iTab, but to her other grandparents' house. And she loved going there. It was their farm. And she loved picking the, you know, grabbing the eggs and bringing the eggs in. And she loved, you know, helping with the cows. And she loved all of these things. But when she got there, what she really wanted to do was to play on her iTab. And so the entire time she's there, her favorite cousins are there and her cousins want to play with her. But what she wants to do is show them how to play things on the iTab. They're building forts with hay bales. She's playing on her iTab. And, and, and throughout the week, she begins to find, you know, that, that she's kind of lost her way. And then in the end of the book, it, it, uh, it helps her be able to see, hey, wait a minute, I really missed something, you know, I missed out on something. And maybe there's a right place for my iTab, but I wanna be present with my grandparents and with my cousins. And she finds herself again. And it's easy, easy for us to get lost in the midst of our, you know, our being enamored with our technology. And the scripture passage that was in here is one that we read just a moment ago. And it says this, everything is permitted. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Everything is permitted but everything isn't beneficial. You've got an iPad or a phone and you know, being able to use it, that's permitted, but sometimes it's not beneficial. There are times where we're no longer experiencing the life we're meant to live because we get off track. Everything Paul writes is permitted, but everything doesn't build others up. And so what's beneficial? What builds others up? What builds ourselves up? You know, it's part of what we wanna ask when we're using our technology, to use it in a way where, where too much of a good thing hasn't become a bad thing for us or for other people. All right, I wanna mention one other place where I, I found myself getting in trouble here. So I began, I don't know how long ago it was, probably a couple of years ago, I began taking my phone to bed with me. And I take it to bed with me, doesn't that sound really creepy, but I take it to bed with me and I plug it in to have it recharge right next to my bed, right on my, on my nightstand. Why do I do that? Well, partly, you know, I did it because I thought sometimes I'll set alarms on here. Uh, I have an alarm clock, but sometimes I'll set alarms here. Um, I, I did it, I think, because I really enjoy reading. Like when I finally come to bed, like this week, it was Tuesday, and I had been working all day on this sermon, and I finally came to bed, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to read the news for a little while. And so I go to the Apple News app, and it, it tees up news stories, like TikTok tees up, tees up little videos. And so I start reading the news, and then I read one story, and then I'm going to read another story, and then I'm going to read another story. And you know, an hour and a half went by. So I'd come to bed, I think it was midnight, 1.30 in the morning, I finally put my phone down. And by this time, my brain is going so fast, I can't even, I can't even you know, relax and get to sleep. And, and my phone's sitting there and I look at the clock, it's 1.30 in the morning. And I just spent all day working on a sermon on technology and how we misuse it and how sometimes it can bring us harm. Anyway, I was thinking about this. I thought maybe I was the only you know, dope who ever does this. 
But I asked Tracy, uh, you know, tell us some other things, some other ways that our technology gets in trouble, it gets us in trouble and causes harm. And this is what Tracy had to say. Take a listen. But devices are getting into kids' bedrooms. It's it's because they play music. They have an alarm clock. Why not? But now we're learning the why not is because our kids are on their devices when they're really supposed to be sleeping. And when you look at mental health, one of the biggest indicators for mental health wellness is sleep. So even if our kids are online using Duolingo to learn Mandarin, it's still better for them to be sleeping. So I thought, you know, I interviewed Tracy in the morning, then I interviewed our teenagers in the afternoon. And so I asked them about this. Do any of them take their phones to bed with them? Take a listen. So how many of you have your phone next to you, like on a nightstand, uh, when you go to bed at night? All right. And how many of you turn it on in the middle of the night somewhere? Do you sleep through the night or are you having it on sometime? Okay, all right. Like what could your parents do to help you with, you, one of you talked about using it in moderation and we all agreed that maybe we're using them too much. Can your parents help in some way that won't irritate you or? I guess they could like put like a screen time on it where you can't be on it past like the certain time and it wouldn't let you. So. Okay, good. That's a good idea. I have screen time on mine and it does make me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. It just makes me feel like I'm missing out on so much. Like it goes off at like 1030 or something, but it feels unreasonable. And, and your parents put that on there? Yeah, my mom. Okay. <laughs> okay. Were you mad when she did? Yeah, I was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it just makes me kind of irritated because like I, I want to use it. So what I do is like, like I said before, like I'm, I'm, you know, I tell them what I think is reasonable and then we kind of talk it out and things. Something that my parents did when I was younger is they made me plug my phone in to charge downstairs. Now, I love that they did that. But then it drove me crazy because all my friends were up at night texting me and I couldn't see till the morning, but I'm really glad that they did that. The biggest thing with me and charging my phone out there is because my parents definitely recommend it, um, is alarms because I cannot get up in the morning. Like having my phone as an alarm mm -hmm. next to me was a big thing. But now, I mean, we bought this little like LED alarm clock on Amazon that nailed it out for me. I don't know about you if you can wake up early yeah. in the morning, but you know, for me at least, it was nice to have a physical alarm. For a Old school. Bit. You know, yeah. I know. <laughs> I love that when Ellie was describing uh, the, the alarm clock that they bought an LED alarm clock, and it was sort of a new idea. And of course, that's old school for all of us or most of us around here. And when I was watching this video, actually, when I was spending time with them, interviewing them before I watched the, the video itself, you know, thinking about this, and, and one of the things I went home and did is I decided I'm not going to plug my phone in to recharge next to my bedroom table, my nightstand anymore. And so starting that night, I began plugging it in in the other room. So I wouldn't hear it, see it. I wouldn't be tempted to try to read it. And I was reminded when, when God says this in the scriptures, says, be still in the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. But I wasn't being still and I wasn't focusing on God. I was focusing on all the news stories of the day and going, going through story after story after story as I was reading the news, thinking it was gonna put me to sleep and it had just the opposite impact. And when it comes to the, uh, to the alarm clock, I just wanna say, we recognize the mental health professionals say sleep is critical to good mental health. The, uh, the folks who focus on brain cognition and healthy brains and the ability to use your brain horsepower to be able to accomplish as much as possible say sleep is really important for, for effective brain cognition. We need sleep. And without it, we find ourselves in trouble. We can find ourselves depressed. We can find ourselves lethargic. We can find ourselves struggling with anxiety and a host of other things if we're not getting adequate sleep. And the technology we have in our hands is not helping us, it's hurting us. 
And so here's one more hint. And this is what, uh, this is what we heard from Ellie. This is a $20 alarm clock, right? And it actually projects the picture of the time up on the ceiling. I love this. I bought this several months ago from Amazon. Take a look on the screen, you see it. And it's like, this thing has revolutionized my sleep patterns when I remember to not look at my phone and just spend time praying before I go to sleep at night and not using my phone as an alarm clock. So I wanna just remind you, we've done some, we've talked about some very practical things. We've talked about, you know, uh, turning your phone off a bit more often. We've talked about putting a basket where you can put your phones in at mealtimes and not focusing on, on using your phones during those times. We've talked about exercising self-control and how do we cultivate that and confessing that we have a problem and we need some help. And we've talked about something as simple as an alarm clock and not plugging our phones in in the bedroom with us when we go to bed at night. And all of those things are very simple steps we can take to be able to have a better relationship with our technology and a healthier life. I want to mention January 25th at Church of the Resurrection, we are hosting a Screen Sanity Summit where you have a chance to join us in person or online. And we'd love for you, if you have kids or grandkids, we'd love for you to join us for that. You can find out more about core.org at core.org slash next, cor.org slash next. And I want to end by showing, sharing with you a little video I saw at the Screen Sanity Summit webpage. And, uh, and it was a, a special that Diane Sawyer had filmed about a year ago, and she featured actually uh, Screen Sanity in it. But, but in this particular clip, she's talking about the relationship with technology and our furry friends. Take a look. So many people told us that there are other friends in their lives affected by technology too. We live in a world in which cockatiels sing a song of cell phones. Parrot knows how to rouse a new pal. Alexa, all Okay. And this chimpanzee has mastered Instagram. But the experts say there is one animal in the kingdom who seems to be saddened by our screens. Your dog, who signals if your eyes are looking down, you may not be his best friend. And Michelle would like a little understanding for her life. Every time she reaches for her phone, Marley begins to moan. He does it upside down. He does it right side up. It's so bad, she's had to become a phone refugee inside her own home. If I really need to answer a text, I will go out in the, in the hallway. Um, I'll go into my bathroom downstairs. So with all this technology in our lives, remember, your dog wants to look at your face. I love that. Even our dogs don't like to be fubbed. And so if that's true for our dogs, how much more for our friends, our family members, the people around us? for us to pay attention, for us to love our neighbor, for us to connect with people, for us to break bread together and actually break bread together, talking to one another and not just the people on our phones. Look, technology is awesome. It's amazing. We can use it for so many great things. There's also a right relationship we have with it. And during this sermon series, we're gonna be looking to see how do we cultivate that right relationship that's healthy and good, and then use our technology to have the maximum possible positive impact in the world. I wanna end with this. We, uh, at Christmas Eve, we received a candlelight, our candlelight Christmas Eve offering. And I wanted to share with you how much you gave on Christmas Eve to go benefit children and families in poverty in Kansas City and around the world. 
and you use your phones to do this. So this is one of those positive things that you can do with your phones is when you're giving to things that really matter. And on Christmas Eve candlelight service, across all of our locations in one night, you gave $2,322,746 to benefit children and families in poverty around the world. Most of that came by people using their phones. There is great good we can do with our phones and our technology, and there's some things that can bring us harm. And let's be the kind of people who do the good things with our technology. Here's how I wanna end. This is the T-shirt you may have been wondering when you were looking at Tracy Foster and she was in the interviews, wondering what did her T-shirt say? This is what her T-shirt says. It says, do more things that make you forget to check your phone. Let's be the kind of people who do more things to make us forget to check our phones. Would you pray with me? Oh God, how grateful we are to you. We long for you to be the center of our lives, to be the source of our joy, our strength, our peace, our hope. We're grateful for technology and all the amazing people that helped contribute to the development of this technology, to the digital revolution. It's helped us in so many ways and we are so profoundly grateful. But oh God, we confess to you that there are times that our technology has become an idol for us or there are moments we become too dependent upon it or there are moments that we end up harming other people inadvertently by our use of technology. Help us, oh God, to have the right relationship with technology where we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength first and foremost. And we love our neighbors, we love ourselves. Guide us and help us, we pray in this new year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.